in Life Together, the book on Christian community that many in our congregation are reading right now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaks about the importance of prayer at the start of the day. We are not meant to just roll over in bed, turn off the alarm, and charge headlong into the day's worries and challenges and fears. At the threshold of the new day stands the Lord who made it, Bonhoeffer writes. Therefore, at the beginning of the day, let all distraction and empty talk be silenced, and let the first thought and the first word belong to the one to whom our whole life belongs. The day is God's, so begin with gratitude, begin with praise, begin with thanks to the God who's made you and nurtured you and brought you to the gift of this morning. The first words of the day matter. They set the tone and intention for what's to come. And today we are not just speaking the first words of the morning together, we are in fact speaking the first words of the year. The church's year begins this morning, this first Sunday of Advent, and the first words of this new year come from the prophet Isaiah. They are words of hope and promise and joy and expectation, and they begin in a rather strange way. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It's a little odd, don't you think? I mean, wouldn't it be more common to speak about the word that Isaiah heard concerning Judah and Jerusalem? That God spoke and Isaiah listened? Maybe he had the word world's first smartphone and got a text from God, but I don't think so. Sometimes God's speaking is like this, so vivid, so concrete, so powerful, that you can almost reach out and touch it, like a plow in the middle of the sanctuary. Isaiah saw God's word, and the scriptures tell us it was an amazing thing to behold. He saw a transformed landscape with God's dwelling place lifted high, he saw people from all nations on the move together, people of many languages and cultures and colors. He saw God's justice enacted, the undoing of oppression, the settling of age-old disputes. He saw weapons of war turned to farm tools. He saw an end to conflict and violence, a rejection of the old curriculum of war. He saw a new way of abundant life for all people. He saw neighbors the world over. God spoke a word so vivid and lifelike Isaiah could see it. And if it all sounds distant and dreamy and impossibly naive to us today, well, we're in good company because it probably sounded that way to Isaiah's audience as well. The book of Isaiah doesn't start with that promising, hopeful word that we have in front of us today. Our reading is from chapter 2, and chapter 1, which is quite a read, I will tell you, describes what Isaiah saw all around him. He saw corruption, iniquity, evil. He saw leaders taking bribes and running after costly gifts. He saw the wealthy prospering at the expense of the poor. He saw a country around him desolate and besieged, cities burned and vacant. So in short, he saw many of the sorts of things we might see 
if we read the day's news or keep our eyes open to the society around us. He saw a world marked by war and greed and injustice, one that doesn't sound so strange or foreign at all. The prophet lived through a tumultuous and violent time when powerful nations were vying for control of the region and the little kingdom of Judah found itself caught in the middle of the fray. And in the midst of all that insecurity and fear, he saw a different word, a vision so dramatically opposed to the world around him. To his hearers in Jerusalem, thousands of years ago, it must have sounded every bit as distant and disconnected from reality as it does to us today. There's nothing obvious or readily apparent about this word God speaks. It is fantastic, almost otherworldly. So what's a vision like this for? What is it doing here in the middle of Isaiah's troubled world? More immediately, what's it doing in the middle of our troubled world? At the start of this church year, at the start of this Advent, here today in Geneva? There are probably lots of ways to answer that question, but I have two answers to share with you today. Two things I think Isaiah's vision might do for us. And here's the first. I think it might awaken our longing. To get at what I mean, here's a poem by Mary Oliver called simply The Sun. Have you ever seen anything in your life more wonderful than the way the sun, every evening, relaxed and easy, floats toward the horizon and into the clouds or the hills or the rumpled sea and is gone? And how it slides again out of the blackness every morning on the other side of the world, like a red flower streaming upward on its heavenly oils, say on a morning in early summer, at its perfect imperial distance, and have you ever felt for anything such wild love? Do you think there is anywhere in any language a word billowing enough for the pleasure that fills you as the sun reaches out, as it warms you, as you stand there empty-handed? Or have you too turned from this world? Or have you too gone crazy for power, for things? I don't usually think of things as a dirty word, but the way it comes at the end of that poem, it almost sounds like one. I mean, with something as majestic as the sun setting beneath the horizon and rising over the world, warming us as we stand empty-handed, how could we possibly turn away? How could we possibly miss the gift of each evening, each morning, each moment to be alive in such a mysterious and wonderful world? How could we possibly care more about stuff, about things? And yet we do it all the time, don't we? We ignore the greatest gifts around us, gifts of life and creation and community and this moment in which we are free to love and be loved. We ignore them all the time in our preoccupation with status, with admiration, with power, with things. That is part of the poet's job and also the prophet's to wake us up, to show us where we have gone astray, to remind us of the greater gifts, the greater joys. I think Isaiah is up to something like that. 
Maybe when we're young, we can imagine a world without war, a world without the strong trampling the weak. Maybe when we're just starting out in life, we can long for that sort of profound change. But as we grow, we see how hard it is. We see how broken our systems can be, how deep prejudices can run, how tightly the powerful can hold on to their weapons. It is hard to keep longing for a new world, so we settle. We settle for a small change here and there. We settle for things basically as they are. We settle for just hoping they don't get any worse. And Isaiah comes along painting this vision of a new world here at the start of the year to awaken our longing again. So we might listen and dream and find ourselves saying once more, yes, that's what I want too. That's how it's meant to be. Isaiah won't let us settle because God won't let us. Those deep longings are holy. So that's one thing I think Isaiah's vision might do for us today. Keep our holy longing alive for a changed world. Here's the second. I think it might invite us to take a step toward it. Like I said earlier, that vision is so dramatic, so remarkable that it is almost otherworldly. It feels like something we can never possibly bring about. And that might be right. It probably isn't in our power to create this perfect picture that Isaiah saw. But notice that's not what we're asked to do. Isaiah doesn't say, if you follow this three-step action plan, then this will be the result. There's no if-then language here at all. Isaiah's vision is a promise, pure and simple, unconditional and free. It will be this way. Someday, somehow, there will be an end to injustice, an end to violence, an end to oppression. In days to come, this shall be. It's not in our power to fully bring this about, but Isaiah does invite us to join in. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, he says. I think that's a way of saying, start acting like this promise is real. Let its light shine on your way. Take a step in this direction. Now, when this business about beating swords into plowshares comes up in the Bible, I think of the work of Raw Tools, that's R-A-W, so war spelled backwards, Raw Tools, a group in the United States that takes this vision very literally. In my home country, so enamored with firearms, they invite people to turn in their guns and turn them into farm tools. They literally take, say, an AK-47 that someone has turned in, and they heat it up in a forge, and they put it on an anvil, and they hammer at it until it changes from something intended to harm people to something that nourishes life. I love that prophetic vision, but I was thinking this week that it's not enough to love it at a distance, as though I have nothing to put on the anvil myself because I'm not a gun owner. We all have our own weapons of one kind or another, don't we? Our own certainties that, that we can use to harm others. Our own prejudices that can exclude or belittle. Our own fences that we build to keep others at a comfortable distance. Those people, whoever they might be. 
There are ways we all contribute, actively or passively, to the conflict and violence in our world today. So what would it look like to put those sorts of weapons on the anvil? To say, I used to think I needed this, to make me feel safe, to make me feel strong, but I don't need it anymore. I want to learn something other than war. I want to walk in a different path toward life. Swords to plowshares, spears to pruning hooks, conflict to peacefulness, violence to brotherhood. It's not realistic. It is better than that. It is a promise of God. So let's keep holding it close this Advent, this year. Let's keep it close enough that it lights our way and makes our hearts strong and gives us the courage to lay down our weapons, to take a step this day in the light of the Lord. Amen. As we sing and as we pray now, you are invited, if you wish, to come forward and offer a prayer for peace here at the plow. You do that by picking up one of the hammers there and simply striking it once lightly. The prayer can be for personal peace, for peace in your home or the home of another, for peace among nations and peoples. So as we sing and as we pray, we will hear those prayers rising up in this place.